Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. Today we begin a series of conversations on the Civil War, 1865, sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of South Carolina and recorded before a live audience on campus. Today my guest will be Professor Robert Brinkmeyer, Director of the Institute for Southern Studies, and we'll be discussing the impact of the Civil War on Southern fiction. Bob Brinkmeyer is the Director at Southern Studies. He's also the Emily Brown Jeffries Professor of English and the College of Arts and Sciences Distinguished Professor of Southern <laughs> Studies. His major field of study has been the modern Southern literature and culture in which he's published a number of articles, including one most closely associated tonight, The Civil War in Contemporary Southern Literature. Among his five books are Remapping Southern Literature, Contemporary Southern Writers in the West, and his most recent book, The Fourth Ghost, White Southern Writers and European Fascism, 1930 to 1950, which won any number of prizes, including, I think, most importantly, the Warren Brooks, and that's Robert Perrin Warren and Clanth Brooks Award for Excellence in Literary Criticism. Good company to be with those two folks. He also received a Guggenheim Fellowship to complete that book, and Bob, Welcome to this conversation. Let's start off talking about, as you would say, we'll have a, a riff on the, the war and what, what people said. Faulkner, of course, is famous for his quotes about the Civil War, maybe it, just history. The past is never dead. It's not even past. <laughs> Requiem for a nun. And then probably his best known, of course, is from Intruder in the Dust where he said, for every Southern boy, 14 years old, not once, but whenever he wants it, there's that instant when it's not yet two o'clock in that afternoon in July, 1863, the brigades are in position behind that rail fence, the guns are laid in ready in the woods, and furled flags are already loosened to break out, and Pickett himself with his long oiled ringlets and his hat in one hand, and his sword in the other, looking up the hill, waiting for Longstreet to give the word, and it's all in the balance. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't even begun yet. It's not only hasn't begun yet, but there's still time for it not to begin against that position and those circumstances which made more men than Garnet and Kemper and Armistead and Wilcox look grave, yet it's going to begin, and we all know that. We have come too far with too much at stake, and that moment doesn't even need a 14-year-old boy to think this time, maybe this time, with all this much to lose and all this much to gain, Pennsylvania, Maryland, the world, the Golden Dome of Washington itself, to crown with desperate and unbelievable victory the desperate gamble the cast was made two years ago. Not just the South's greatest writer on whom you have done so much, but certainly one of America's greatest writers, the war certainly had an impact on him. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'd begin by saying that I'm not sure that that quote that you just read is relevant in 2015. I mean, maybe, maybe there are a lot of Southern boys that feel that, white Southern boys, but, I, but I'm, not, I'm not sure. Well, actually, I'm, I'm afraid you're right. <laughs> I, th I think most of the gentlemen in this room would know about Pickett's charge, but I'm not so sure that many of the undergraduates today, when you say the Civil War, they're not sure if you're talking about something in 1860 or what was happening in Bosnia or, don't want to be cynical, but that's... Right. One way to think about the Civil War and its continued impact on the Southern imagination is that uh, about 20 years ago, somebody asked the, the writer Walker Percy why Southern literature was so significant and important. And he, his answer was very simple. He said, the war. And what he meant by that was that after the Civil War, Southerners understood, black Southerners already knew this from slavery, but white Southerners understood the deprivation, defeat, poverty, the knowledge of human limitation, limitation that, that is just not part of the American cultural mythology, which is very progressive, new frontiers to conquer, 
without looking back. But Southerners had a, a deep sense of history. And so what Percy was trying to get at, I think, was not that Southerners always wrote about the war. I mean, they, they, the war had a tremendous impact on them, even when they weren't writing about the war. It impacted the way they, they saw humanity and they understood history. And so we get a really deep and rich literature that I don't think we would have had without the Civil War. And it's a type of literature that is very appealing to non-Americans. I mean, in Europe and in Japan and in, in Asia, the, the literature that, that is most studied when students are studying uh, American literature is generally literature of the South because people who have gone through the same type of civil wars and deprivation and poverty that is much more endemic to the world than a progressive view, the foreigners identify with Southern literature and identify with Faulkner in particular okay. because of, of what you were saying. The past is never past. Well, I had an experience right here in, in Colombia with that. The cadets from the French Air Academy about 20 years ago were visiting Colombia and they asked me to give a talk about Colombia, and I showed them the famous photographs of Colombia after the fire, and the, the one looking down Main Street with the chimneys, and two of the cadets said, that's just like our hometown after World War II. Chimneys above a pile of, of rubble. So you're right, what happened to Southerners, all Southerners, was more in context with the history of humankind than the rest of the United States. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, again, that's part of, part of its great appeal. The Civil War still is being written about by contemporary writers, um, and of course, writers before that. But I don't, I don't think it's the central fact of Southern existence anymore, is, is understanding the Civil War. I mean, I think it's important for some writers, but not for others. I think that one way, you know, we're talking about this from a white perspective that, you know, that what we're talking about is the war significance upon the white imagination. And I think that you, you have to understand that, that it does break down somewhat about how the war is viewed between black and white writers. I mean, generally speaking, white writers will focus their attention on the experience of the war itself, if not battles in the home front, whatever and in particularly focusing in on the endurance that white Southerners uh, had to face to maintain their humanity. And then black writers primarily are, are going to be focusing more on the impact of slavery and less about the war itself. I mean, the war is, is somewhat of a backdrop, um, but it is not gonna be the central focus. There's a great line from Alice Randall's book, The Wind Ungone, where the, the, which is a kind of a rewriting of Gone with the Wind from the black perspective. And one of the characters said, I fought my war before the war. And what she was, her war was the war of slavery. Um, and so I think that's, that's one way to think about that. One of the things that students used to ask, were there any Southern novels written during the war? And actually there was a very famous Southern novel by Augusta Evans Wilson. It was called Macariah, and I think that's the way it was, it was pronounced, at least by her folks I knew in Mobile, where she grew up. Colon, The Altar is a Sacrifice. She wrote it in 1864, published thousands of copies in the South. 5,000 copies were shipped north, bootlegged north, as someone said. And uh, it actually was a book that was banned in the occupied border states as Southern propaganda. It had to do with women's sacrifice on the home front for making the war successful. And the nice little footnote to that is her family was in desperate straits. After the war, she visited her brother in New York who had kept the royalties that she earned and her family never had to go hungry. She didn't have to play Scarlett O'Hara. But that's really one of the few that I know of books written during the war about the war, and in this case, it was the home front. I have not read that, so I'm not going to pretend like I have. Um, but yes, there was not a, a tremendous amount of literary output in terms of written literature. There was a lot of songs and some poems that were written to celebrate the Confederates. 
most of it focused on the creation of the Confederate nation, so that it was strongly nationalistic in tone and in, in perspective. It wasn't much lyric poetry about the beauty of a tree or anything. It was more, you know, it was poetry and fiction that was meant to help Southerners, white Southerners, feel a sense of purpose and during the war. Two of Henry Timrod's poems come to mind, Ethnogenesis, Birth of a Nation, which he wrote after the Montgomery Convention that the Confederate Constitution, and our state song, Carolina. But when you and I were in undergraduate school and graduate school and taking courses in American literature, everybody always talked about, well, the great Civil War novel is Red Badge of Courage. I haven't seen that mentioned anywhere recently. It's just kind of disappeared from the, the canon. Yeah, I think it has, but it, I think it actually had a tremendous impact on, on a number of people about the way they, they viewed the war because, I mean, Stephen Crane is, is going to focus not on the heroics of, of fighting in the war, but in kind of the, the terrors and the fear and of being caught up in a war, caught up in a situation that you're basically out of control. Your body is just doing things. And so that it was a little bit unusual for an American writer to approach the war so in such a way that that we it wasn't focused on the heroic. It was focused on not a general but an enlisted man and, and how lost he is amongst the battle. And that type of writing has really come back into play recently. I think that a lot of times writers use the Civil War, if they're going to write about the Civil War, they're going to use contemporary or more recent wars to understand the Civil War. So that I think one of the really, really fine writers, uh, contemporary writers about the Civil War, Howard Barr, who has a trilogy of books, very much like Stephen Crane, focusing in on how lost people are amongst the battlefield. And I think that when Barr went to Vietnam, and when you read his, his novels, you, you can't help but think of Vietnam, about how the one loyalty that each soldier has in the Civil War is to the person standing next to him. It's not, they're not thinking about the Confederacy. They're not thinking about the Union. They're thinking about surviving. They're thinking about the men they've come to love as their comrades. And I think that that's the type of the long-term impact of Crane. We, all, we almost see it working through in, in a writer like Barr. Again, going back to the, the courses that we had reading, you know, surveys of literature by Hubble and, and others, the question always would be, is there a great American novel about the Civil War? And again, they usually mention Red Badge of Courage, which really not much more than a novella. I mean, where is the war and peace? Where is All Quiet on the Western Front, which actually is something along the, the line of Crane? You know, I don't know. It's a good question, and it's one that I, I happen to agree with you. I don't think there is the one great novel of the Civil War that's been written, and and I, I'm not sure why that is. It might be that the Civil War is just the defining moment of our nation. Robert Penn Warren made that observation, and, and I think Warren is right. And it, the Civil War entails, when we think about it, so many different perspectives having to do with race, with the definition of our nation, with our goals. It's almost too much for one writer to embrace all of those things in a novel. Mark Sibley Jones has a, a new novel out, his first novel. It's called By the Red Glare, and it's, it's about the burning of Columbia. And it's a very fine novel, but it's, it's, there are times where I think it's almost like he's trying to do too much. I mean, what I was just talking about was that I think that, that Sibley Jones feels like he has to get every perspective in the novel. And so that it's almost like if you're going to write about the Civil War now, you have to know about everything. So you have to deal with slavery. You have to deal with the horrors of the war. You have to deal with the good Yankee and the bad Yankees and the bad Rebs and the good Rebs. And, and it's, it's, it just, it's really difficult to do. It's really difficult to do in one novel. 
So that I think we have a lot of very fine novels about the war, but I don't know if there's one that really can get at everything. We also have a lot of bad ones. Yeah, we do have a lot of bad ones. <laughs> Does not necessarily follow, but you mentioned the burning of Columbia and a novel, and of course, one of the great characters, uh, personalities of 20th century South Carolina was Elizabeth Boatwright Coker. And she wrote a novel about the burning of Columbia called La Belle, about uh, the boozer woman, as folks referred to her. And it's not great literature, and she would be the first person to say that. But in her day, it sold a fair, a fair amount of copies. As she said, it's one step above a bodice ripper. <laughs> The event was, and it, she had to deal with the good Yankees, the bad Yankees, and in this case, the female protagonist betrays the South and rides off with Sherman's army. You can go to any bookstore today where you can find a bookstore, and you look at the regional section, and you will see books, or you can go online and, and pull, up, pull up the Civil War. It goes on for page after page after page. You know, there's some good stuff on there. Killer Angels, written a while back, maybe one of the better books written about, particularly about military, the military side of, of the war. And then the alternative history folks are out there in force. Mr. Turtledove didn't invent alternative history with the South winning the war. There actually was a little novella published in 1962 during the centennial of what was called officially in South Carolina the Confederate War, and it was if the South had won the war. And they won it, and they had a big ball in the White House, and the, you know, what have you, and what, what would happen since, into the, into the 20th century, which, of course, Mr. Turtledove has done now. I think he's into the 21st century with the nation divided and, and, and the world. But it's been something that it sells. You know, I'm sorry, the, the Civil War in its various forms sells, maybe not in great literature, but it, it still sells. I wish the Revolution sold just as well. <laughs> But, you know, that's a, I won't mount that hobby horse tonight because we're talking about Southern literature, uh, not, not the 18th century. But let's talk some more, Bob, about the work you've done about the impact of the war on contemporary Southern fiction. Well, I think that there's been kind of a waning influence of the war on, in the Southern imagination. I, I, not, I mean, most Southern writers don't write about the Civil War. And I mentioned Mark Sibley Jones, and that's a very fine novel, and he's trying to grapple with huge issues. But most, most Southern writers shy away from that, I think. And I think one way to understand it is to, to talk about, really briefly, about two Kentucky writers, um, one from 1927 and then one from the 1980s. Um, and the writer that wrote a poem in 1927 was Alan Tate. He wrote a poem called... Ode to the Confederate Dead. Now, an ode is a poem of public celebration, like when Caesar would come back from his many defeatings of the Gauls, or the there would be tons of poets in Rome who would write ode to the victorious Caesar as he returns to Rome. So you would expect um, when Alan Tate in 1927 um, writes a poem called Ode to the Confederate Dead that it's going to be a celebration of memorializing the Confederate war dead. And believe me, there were millions of these poems written during the 19th century after the Civil War. But the poem is deeply ironic. What Tate is trying to do in that poem is trying to understand what should his relationship be to his ancestors that fell and died during the war. What should be his relationship to the Confederates? And in 1927, 60 years past the war, he doesn't really know what his relationship would be, should be with the, the war dead. Should he celebrate them or should he not? And so the poem depicts him standing outside a Confederate graveyard. He's standing outside it. He's blocked by a wall, so he's, he can't really, he's not really inside the cemetery. And he, he muses, he tries to work himself up to this incredible identification with the war dead. And so he he gets very excited and he identifies with the charge and the Confederate yell. But then he'll hear something like a, an owl, a shriek owl, and that will bring him back to, the, to 1927. And he's, he's a modern poet again. And now he can't, really, he can't really 
maintain that identification, even though he knows he's been raised to, to know that that is very significant. He should celebrate his past. And I want to read you a few lines of this poem because I think it, it indicates so much of what's going on in Southern writing in the 1920s and afterwards. He says, what shall we say who have knowledge carried to the heart? This ingrown, this knowledge that, that history matters, that my relationship to my ancestors matters. So he's saying, what shall we say? Shall we take the act to the grave? So should we just live our lives and die and not really concern ourselves with it? Or shall we, more hopeful, set up the grave in the house, the ravenous grave? And what he's saying here, or should we set up our celebration in our, of, of our awareness of the heroic of the Southern cause in the house, but it's a ravenous grave. It can consume you. So he understands that he can't let himself be consumed by the past, that it's not so simple, that he can't really identify entirely. He's, it's too complicated. I mean, I think previous generations of Southerners could identify. They didn't question their Southern identity. When my mother was growing up, she, if you ask, you didn't have to ask her if she were a Southerner. She knew she was. It would never cross her mind to think otherwise. But for Alan Tate, he's saying it's not so simple. And the poem ends with the, with the poet walking away from the graveyard completely confused. I mean, he, doesn't, he hasn't answered any of the questions that the poem has raised because he's going to continue to try to do that for the rest of his career as a poet. Now, fast forward to the 1980s, where we have another Kentucky writer, Bobby Ann Mason. Now, when Mason, Mason writes uh, a novel called In Country, and this is a novel about a, a young girl, somewhat like the poet from Alan Tate's Ode to the Confederate Dead, trying to figure out her identity. You know, she's just graduated from high school. She wants to do something with her life. But she is pondering not the Civil War, but the Vietnam War. For her, the essence of understanding who she is, not just as a Southerner, but as an American, is not really understanding the Civil War, but understanding the Vietnam War. And the, her father was killed in the Vietnam War, and her uncle was damaged in the Vietnam War. And so the, the novel ends with her taking a trip to the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C. And, and I think that says a lot, that her ponderings are about Vietnam, not about the Civil War. Now, what I'm trying to suggest is that not, I mean, I'm not saying that the Civil War has disappeared from the Southern literary imaginary. Of course not. But what I'm saying is that for many writers, it's, it's, it's the 1960s, the 1970s, more than the 1860s that you really have to, to wrestle with. We continue to have novels that look back to the Civil War, but as I, as I said earlier, you know, if you go to the Southern literary section in the, and look at contemporary, you're not going to find tons and tons of Civil War novels. They sell, but I, I think that that's one reason the really good writers don't want to try and do it because it's it's hard to write against all the stereotypes that that are that are in the popular fiction. A contemporary writer you didn't mention who deals with the war in a different way, of course, is Cole Mountain, which is set in in North Carolina, but it has to do with actually a civil war in within North Carolina. Yeah, and that's I'm glad you brought that up because that's like I mean this is a great example of how things have changed. I think. I mean, in previous generations of writers, um, the Civil War became the clash between two civilizations, the South and the North. And there was this kind of this larger perspective that was looming behind it, that, you know, we have two very different ways of life clashing in the Civil War. And so now we, we go to Cold Mountain, and I mean... We have, who's the main character? A deserter. A southern deserter becomes the hero. 
I mean, this would not have happened 50 years before. It would not have been a popular novel. And I think that, you know, what Inman is fleeing from, once again, is the horrors of the war. I mean, he basically says, I can't go back. I mean, I've, I've, I'm already dead, in a sense. The war has already taken so much away from me that I'm going to leave the war and go to Cold Mountain, where he thinks he can, where he's hoping he can recover his life. That book really touched a chord. I mean, that was immensely popular. And and, and another contemporary writer, Ron Rash, in his latest collection of short stories, has two that deal with the same part of North Carolina and the uh, not so much during the war, but people had long memories of who took which side during the war. Um, yeah, and in the world, he has one um, novel, The World Made Straight, which is dealing with a massacre that took place in the North Carolina mountains where um, this was an area where there were both uh, Confederate sympathizers and Union sympathizers, and there was a massacre of civilians. Um, and in that novel, um, there are descendants who from both sides, and they're trying to, I think Rash is trying to understand in this novel how people could do that to each other. I mean, how could neighbors kill neighbors? Why is it that civil wars are the most violent? Why is it civil wars where people are most brutal to each other? And I think that that's one of the things that Rash is trying to do. And one of the things I really love about that novel, and this is, a, again, the way that Rash is using the civil war and other wars to kind of shed light on each other. One of the things that, that is haunting that book is the connections between that massacre that took place during the Civil War and the Holocaust. Because in that book, one of the things that the, one of the, things that, um, the people were talking about is the rise of Hitler and Stalin. And so that it, there's this larger context to that. And the brutality that took place in World War II, kind of, we, we can use that brutality to understand the brutality that took place in the Civil War. And in fact, there's a long passage where, in that novel, where the main character is, is talking about the brutality of war. And he uses Simone Veil's book about um, violence in Homer's uh, The Iliad which is really a book not so much about Homer's Iliad, but it's a book about World War II and the violence that's taking place in World War II. And so that book, see, that's the way that I think the Civil War is becoming, you know, is used in really complex and rich ways by Southern writers. It's not a book primarily about the Civil War. It's, it's about two guys in contemporary North Carolina, but the Civil War is still haunting them. So that this is the way that, that contemporary writers are using the war, that they're still haunted by the war, even if they're not writing specifically Civil War novels. And I think that, you know, there's the equivalent of in the black imagination, too, where slavery is still, I mean, haunting the black imagination, that the trauma the, that white writers are dealing with and the trauma of, of, of the brutal war Black writers are dealing with the trauma of slavery. Um, I want to give you, again, let me read you a couple quotes because I think it'll, it'll give you a sense of the way that the, the landscape is still, the landscape of the war is still with us. Um, the first is from a writer, Rick Bass, and I love this quote because he's talking about the way that the landscape is still scarred by the Civil War. And this is from a short story he wrote says, I don't care if it was 120 years ago. These things still last, and that is really no time at all, not for a war like that, with screaming and pain. The trees absorb the echoes of the screams and cries and humiliations. Their bark is only an inch thick between the time then and now, the distance between your thumb and forefinger. The sun beating down on us now saw the flames and the troops' campfires then. And in fact, the warmth from those flames is still not entirely through traveling to the sun. The fear of women you can still feel in places where it is strong. 
So what he's saying is that if you go if you go walking through a, a southern forest, those trees carry the feelings of of the war. Then I want to turn to Toni Morrison's Beloved, where um, Morrison is talking about a different kind of memory, what she calls rememories that um, that the memories of slavery, even if if you were not a slave those memories are still part of the Southern landscape too, not just the memories of the war, and she calls them rememories. So in, in her novel, Beloved, the main character is, is explaining kind of this, this idea of memory, of rememories. So the main character says, someday you'd be walking down the road and you hear something or you see something going on so clear, and you think it's you thinking it up, a thought picture, but no. It's when you bump into a rememory that belongs to somebody else. Where I was before I came here, that place is real. It's never going away. Even if the whole farm, every tree and grass blade of it dies, the picture is still there. And what's more, if you go there, you who were never there, if you go there and stand in the place where it was, it will happen again. It will be there for you, waiting for you. So Denver, it's the name of a character. You can't never go there, never. Because even though it's all over, over and done with, it's going to always be there waiting for you. And so what she's, set, what she's trying to suggest here is that the trauma of slavery for black people, but she's also saying those rememories are there for white people too. The trauma of the war and of slavery is, are, is always going to be with us. And, and I think that that's one way to, to think about the war, that even when writers are not consciously writing about the war, somehow they're being, that the impact of the war is still there, is still with us. I mean, it, it, it's got to be still with us. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned earlier, and I, I'd like to move now to what Europeans think about Southern literature and I was actually going back to one of the first times we met at the University of Bonn at the Southern Studies Forum, which is a group of American and European scholars. And we were meeting there uh, in 1991. And it just happened to be the week that Alexandra Ripley's Scarlet came out. And it was in German. And we were meeting in Bonn in every bookstore, almost every store, front and center was Scarlet. And, of course, the literary reception of that might have been not so great. But the initial thing of, I mean, there were even folks at the conference talking about, have you seen? And you and I said, no, we've not yet read Scarlet. I did, but the sequel, not as good as the original. You know, I don't know, I don't know why um, I can't speak for the Germans, the French, or whatever. I don't know what, what the fascination is, but it is certainly there. And it may be that that civil wars are such a part of the European experience that um, they want to they want to read about that and and you know I've taught in Europe several times and it seems like there are two regions in America that fascinate the Europeans and it's they, they want to read about the Civil War and they want to read about cowboys and Indians um, <laughs> they they want to read about the West I mean one of the most popular writers in Germany sold more books than any other writer, any other German writer as a writer, Karl May. And it's because of, of his long series of books about the American West. And uh, even though I thought he, he wrote all these books before he ever went to the West, it just, <laughs> it just, it's something that fascinates. So you either go one way, you either want that wide open, area where there's supposedly no history or you want to be steeped entirely in history in the South. It's one or the other. Well, in the two passages that you read, you know, I'll go back to the first thing I said from Faulkner, the past is not past. People don't forget. Even if maybe, certainly I would, if you were to ask folks in this room again about Pickett's Charge, they'd know about that. In terms of the American consciousness now, it seems like Maybe the fact that people aren't writing about the war is there have been too many wars since. World War One's getting a big play in Europe now. It hasn't gotten a very big play here. Eventually, it might. 
I mean, for example, this little state produced as many Medal of Honor winners as any other state in the Union in World War I. Great heroics. And the World War I Memorial is sitting down there on the corner. It's a storehouse. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that that's true. And I think that if you, if you read the New York Times book review every week, you would see that the war that's being talked about most now in fiction, and that in, particularly in terms of memoirs and also novels, is the war on terror. I mean, it's what's, what happened in, what's happened in Afghanistan and Iraq, and it's the post-9-11 consciousness. So that, but even the Civil War enters into that. You know, you, you know Newt Gingrich's and William Fortune's, they have a trilogy called Gettysburg, which is an alter, alternate history as if uh, written when the South won, won the war in Gettysburg and what happened afterwards. But in their introduction to their final volume, Gingrich is saying, you know, we need to look at Robert E. Lee and Abraham Lincoln as Christian heroes that stand for the best of America, and we need to use them as the guiding light for our American soldiers who are now fighting in distant lands. And it's very obvious what distant lands they're talking about here. This is a post-9-11 set of novels. And in in the, the Battle of Gettysburg and in some of the battles that they talk about, it's you can really see the, the influence of guerrilla warfare and the warfare of the War on Terror, where it is not soldiers in gray uniforms over here, in blue uniforms over here, and just kind of shooting each other. It's, it's a no-holds-barred people being blown up and in house-to-house fighting. It's Vietnam, it's the War on Terror that they write about. So they're using the Civil War to get their political message across in, in the contemporary war. You mentioned Walker Percy. Yeah, Percy didn't write about the war, but Percy, I think, understood, again, the way that the war gave Southerners a really profound understanding of the human condition that um, was tested by depravity and defeat and a, a dark, a much darker view of things than... Um, than the American cultural mythology. I, I think that, that, that he's, he's very important. But he, he, so he's a writer that, you know, didn't write one word. Well, maybe, you know, there might have been a few words about Civil War somewhere in one of his books, but he certainly didn't set the novel during the Civil War. You know, Faulkner did have one novel, The Unvanquished, which is not one of his greatest novels that deals specifically with the war. Yeah, and it's and I think that again, Faulkner points the way towards the way um, later writers are going to write about the war. That that the focus is going to be more on the home front and people that have, have that have observed the war from afar, rather than giving you the heroics of the battlefield. Like Josephine Humphreys, for instance, in her novel Nowhere Else on Earth, is a novel about the home front in North Carolina. And it is so violent and so barbaric, the home front, that it's, it's not Southerners against Northerners, but it's Southerners against Southerners. And, and she, the, one of the characters even wishes that the war would come close because at least she would know who the enemy is, that they would be wearing blue uniforms. I mean, that the war has, that people are fighting each other and deserting, and people have different sympathies. That there's the home front is 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 just so such a mess and so violent that there's no clarity anymore. If you were to just start with the 1870s, 1880s, and we were to begin mentioning writers who touched on the war, or in many ways, if if you're writing about the post-war South. You're having to deal with the war because the conditions are there. I think particularly, for example, Ellen Glasgow and her stories of Virginia, post-war period. Even if you get to a contemporary writer like Rita Mae Brown, she refers to the war in the Valley of, of Virginia. So for some folks, it's, it's still there. But if you look at the, the, the writers that came out, Stark Young, So Read the Rose, can't forget our our friend in in Atlanta and and gone with gone with the wind, but those southern novels 
are they still part of the canon? They're not part of the major canon. I mean, I think that, again, this, the, the, the writers you mentioned go back to something I mentioned earlier, I think, that the writers from that period, um, after the turn of the century, from the 19th to the 20th, it's almost Southerners had to figure out who they were when they entered the 20th century. I mean, and one of the ways they could figure it out was they had to deal with the Civil War. They had to understand what the Civil War meant to them, and it wasn't an easy thing to figure out because, you know, you're now 50 or 60 years past the Civil War, and, and so what is the relevance? What does it mean to be a Southerner in the 20th century? I mean, what does it mean to be, is the Civil War still significant after world, what happened in World War I? Which is the more defining moment about understanding the 20th century, the Civil War or World War I? And I think so Southerners, when they look back, are trying to figure questions like that out. But no, I don't think the writers that you just mentioned, they're not really that much a part of the canon. And I think, you know, to understand kind of the way that what I'm trying to suggest about what was happening at the turn of the century, you go back a little further and you find very little um, great literature about the Civil War that is being written immediately after the war or even for the next 20 or 30 years after in the 19th century because the lost cause had such a stranglehold on the white imagination that it was almost impossible to to look at the Civil War in any type of ironic or detached mind that that if you were a white Southerner, for instance, if and you were writing fiction, you were using that fiction to embrace the cause that was lost. And so most of the literature from the previous period is very sentimental. It is very um, racist. It's, it's stereotypical. I mean, you know, just to give you a couple of examples of the type of stories that were being written, I mean, often there would be a white man riding his, his horse through the woods, and he would hear a noise. He would hear somebody talking, and he would ride over to this. There would be an old black man sitting against a tree talking about them was the good old days, reminiscing about the good old days of slavery and how he wished he could go back to those times. And, of course, you know, this is, in, I mean, I don't have to unpack the meaning of that or what the purpose of that was. I mean, certainly white Southerners had a tremendous amount of guilt about slavery. I mean, I refuse to believe that they didn't. I mean, my ancestors were slave owners, and I heard all of the stories about the happy slaves and everything, and I know that it was all made up. It's all fiction. And that's the type of stories that I heard when I was being raised. That's the type of fiction that was being written after the Civil War. It was not just adult fiction. This is the rise of children's fictions, things like the Miss Minerva stories, the little colonel stories for uh, young young ladies. I've got on my bookshelf two Confederate boys, uh, things like that. So it's, it started young and then probably influential or not, Thomas Dixon from South Carolina who wrote The Leopard Spots and The Klansman may not be great literature, but the influence on politics, on film, it's, it can't be underestimated. No, I, and you're absolutely right. And I mean, I think that that type of fiction is not being written now. I mean, mm -hmm. I really don't think it is being written. I think, you know, I want to get back to the black writers because there are, there are, there are some important works that are being written by black writers. And there's a really great collection of poetry by Natasha Trethewey, who's a young, relatively young African-American woman. She wrote a book called Native Guard. And uh, it's a collection of poetry that the way it's set up, I think will give you an idea of what black writers are trying to do to try to rewrite the kind of the history of the Civil War. Um, it's a collection of poems and it Many of the poems are supposedly written by a black man who was serving in a, a unit in Louisiana who's fighting for the Union cause. And after the fall of New Orleans, this, this black regiment was raised to uh, fight for the Union cause. And he's, there's very little paper around. So he's writing his journal cross-stitched against a plantation journal that was written by a white man who owned a plantation. And so yeah, I think that's one way to think of this image of black writers 
writing across and in different angles and different ways to understand the history of the Civil War. So there are two voices going on. There's the dominant voice that black writers have to deal with, the dominant legends of the war, and they are writing over. They're trying to, to write over and give a different perspective of the war. So we've got Toni Morrison talking about the, the lingering trauma of the war. You also have Octavia Butler, who wrote this novel called Kindred, which is kind of a time travel novel. It's, it's really kind of fascinating. It's about a black woman going back in time. And she has to, uh, she goes back and forth through this wall. I mean, and at the end of the, uh, the, end of the novel, where she's trying to come back to current time, her, her arm gets caught in the wall. And, and so she's stuck in two times. So she's standing there trying to, to get back in the present time. And to save herself, she has to pull her arm off. And, I, and what, what Butler is trying to suggest is, you know, in, when we think of the trauma of the Civil War in the, from the white perspective, we think of um, the battlefield surgery that was, it was, you know, people's arms and legs were just piled up out in this, on the field after the surgeries. Well, what, what Butler is, she's invoking that. So she's invoking that lost arm that's been, that this black woman has to, to now endure her life. So she's saying that that black arm that, that she lost, that's the trauma, a different kind of trauma that all black Americans have had to, to deal with after the Civil War. And so the, the physical arm becomes a representative of, this, of the psychological trauma. And this is what I think, um, again, that Toni Morrison is talking about, that that, that trauma is still haunts our landscape. It seems in the middle of the 20th century, you had some Southern writers that were sort of multitaskers. In other words, they were historians and writers of fiction, too such as Robert Penn Warren, Shelby Foote, uh, hit upon Alan Tate, Robert Lytle, those sort of things. You don't seem to have that anymore. Is, do, is that something we, we don't see anymore, or they don't care, or why is that? Well, you know, that's a really good question, and, and it may be that, um, that I, I really do think it's kind of true that for, for most Southern writers, their historical imagination doesn't go back that far. I mean, they, they don't study the Civil War. They don't study colonial history the way that these, these the, the writers you're talking about, they were, they were almost like Renaissance men. They, they, could, they really were what we would call men of letters in, in the sense that they wrote history, they wrote memoirs, they wrote fiction, they wrote poetry, and it was all integrated. Now the writers are mainly writers, and I don't know, maybe you know. No, no, no I would people. totally agree. I mean, Warren won a Pulitzer Prize for history, I mean, biography, literature, and poetry. Three. So I think your answer is, is absolutely. And, and look at the way, you know, the academy works now. You're, you know, in Southern studies, we kind of do a little bit of, you're familiar with history and I'm familiar with some literature, but for the most part, you're a historian, you write English, you're a sociologist or, or whatever. I, everything seems to be more stovepiped now than it was in the days when Warren and the, and the agrarians came along at Vanderbilt. Yeah, and I, I think we're probably losing something by that, you know? I mean, we're losing something um, when, we, when the history doesn't go back that far. I'm looking for a quote. If I can find it, I'll read it, because um, you know, I mentioned that Natasha Trethewey's set of poems about the Civil War, and that's a little unusual for a black writer to, to write about the Civil War. And she uses um, as a, the epigraph, which I'm not finding at the moment, uh, some lines from Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass, the great African-American who was born a slave, who became a great abolitionist and a great politician after the Civil War, where he said, you know, if we forget the Civil War, what are we losing? I mean, what if we forget this, what are we going to do? I mean, it's too significant. And that sounds like a quote that 
you'd get from a white writer, but Trethaway is quoting Douglas talking about the significance of never forgetting. And it's not the lost cause of never forgetting. I mean, the Civil War is the defining moment of our nation. I mean, it is when all of the ideas that the colonial fathers of the nation put down on paper became tested in blood, whether people were going to die for it. And this is the moment where America becomes America. I mean, it really is. I mean, Warren even said that, you know, the, the Confederacy didn't even begin until after the war. And what he was trying to suggest there was not the reality of the Confederacy, but the idea of the Confederacy, so that, that, that Southerners could start, white Southerners could start worshiping this, the Confederacy and the old way of life when it wasn't there anymore. It's pretty easy to idolize something when you don't have to deal with the everyday problems, that you can, you can make it what W.J. Cash said was the cloud cuckoo land. You could create whatever you wanted. So I, I do think that the war is... The war is there. And I look at the crowd here tonight, my goodness. I mean, the fact that we, you know, we talk about the diminishment of the war in terms of uh, people's interest, but it's still there. I want to thank you folks for coming out and would like to invite you back as we continue our conversations on the Civil War, 1865. This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal and our conversation with Professor Robert Brinkmeyer about the impact of the Civil War on Southern fiction. Join me next week for more of the journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina ETV Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's Journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina ETV Radio.